0: Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful agency and B2B SaaS executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Today, I'm joined by Russ Perry. Welcome, Russ.
1: Welcome. Thank you, Corey. Thanks for having me.
0: Super excited to have you on the show. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your background?
1: Yeah. So I am a uh, failed agency owner that never was able to successfully go from seven to eight figures. So (laughs) really wish I would have had this content, you know, 10 years ago. And then really from that, you know, looked at what am I going to do in my life and how can I continue to provide value in the creative space and the strategy space and uh, of all of that, uh, I've started a company, which I'm currently the CEO of, which is called Design Pickle. So we are a flat rate subscription creative services company. Uh, we have technology to work with brands, you know, tons of agencies, use our services to give creative output every single day, just super consistent, super scalable, good quality. I love it. It's not super sexy. It's not like I'm creating the next, you know, RNA treatment in startup land, but we do it well and we've been doing it now for eight years. So it's working.
0: What's the The origin story behind Design Pickle? I mean, it comes back to being a really bad agency owner,
1: to be honest. I, I, we were the do it every, we were the do everything agency. And for many years, I ran it myself. And then I got a partner who was out of Argentina, super, super smart guy uh, named Federico, but he was much more of a traditionalist agency guy. And so we had a model where I managed the clients. I do the sales here in Arizona where I'm located. He does all the back of house production and design and strategy and it worked really good, but we were never able to create systems. We were never able to create processes. Every project was this huge one-off lift. And eventually that just became too burdensome to grow because any, any error, right? Any problem we, we could never fix because the next time we were doing something different. So you'd always have different problems, no process. So anyway, Close it all down was like, crap. I'm an adult. I have kids. I have a family. I have bills. I can't just not do something and started consulting in marketing and found that the everyday design support was really hard to find without just spending a ton of money on a full time employee. So Cobbled together a little do yourself program for my, my consulting clients to get simple production designs done. And this thing took on a life of its own so much. So I was like, Hey, I think this is something other like anyone could actually use. I love pickles like love, 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 love fermented foods. Other like the pickle is the best word you can choose. You don't want to use like kimchi or sauerkraut or whatever. So design pickle was born and uh, we've just, I mean, the lo- I'm wearing a t-shirt. the I don't know if anyone's watching. This is not our actual logo, but this little dude, I just drew in a book. It went against every part of my DNA for branding to just like whip out a logo, but it worked and we're uh, still using it today.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And in the early days, how did you grow the business? Did you take a primary a vertical approach or was it more of a market generalist approach? So even today, we struggle with specialization, namely because design
1: is kind of, I always say design is like a business utility. It's a commodity. It's like internet or electricity. Really, most companies need it every company needs it at least once in their career or life cycle. Many companies need it all the time. So we find that specialization, and this was true when I started, was super hard because one early days, you're just so hungry for clients. You're just like, do you have a credit card? Cool. This is what I'll do. Like, please, I'll help anybody. And my growth strategy at that time was super sophisticated. I basically pulled down my email list. I emailed every single person on my email list one by one, so this wasn't a BCC. This was like, here you go. I ended up getting blocked by Google because I sent too many emails in a day And I asked them if I could guest blog or guest post with their audiences. And I was blogging for physical therapists, for coaches, for electricians. It was the most random strategy, but it worked. And I got enough lift to be profitable our first month with everything. And things evolved. And really from there, we've driven into paid advertising. Uh, But this, again, leads to a lot of the challenges that I wish I would have specialized early on because, when you're delivering a generic service to a huge audience, it takes a lot of dollars to find people who are ready to buy. And that's where I see one of our biggest inefficiencies even today in our growth channels is that we generate a lot of qualified people, like right kinds of people, but they're not ready to buy. And so it's a learning lesson and we're still growing around it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So one of the areas that I was excited to talk to you about, specifically that you are running this business, providing this potentially commoditized service, I'm not sure how commoditized yeah. it is, but <laughs> There's uh, there's a new entrance in the market, which is generative AI. It's ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. There's all these new platforms coming along. and And as the CEO and founder of this business, doing it for a number of years now, as a business owner in the field that you're in, how does this impact your world?
1: So which hat do you want me to wear first? My business hat or the, oh shit, there are computers doing what we're selling hats? Because those are two
0: different conversations. I think we'll start with the business owner only because a lot of business owners will be in the listening audience. And I'm sure they're yeah. jumping at the bit to hear your perspective yeah. on this.
1: Yeah. So we we have driven, you know, deep, deep down this topic. Not only do I have PhDs on staff that are working for us, helping create our own versions of this technology, but I'm thinking about it as an as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. It's like, what can I do? And I laugh because like the last hype cycle that I think we all can remember was like crypto. And some people kind of got it, but other people were like, I don't really know what to do. Like, I'm not sure. And then you have the random guy who's like, I just made $10,000 selling a cat JPEG and you don't get it. So true. <laughs> unlike that. Yeah. Unlike that. This is so clear and real and applicable. So it's so overwhelming for me at times. And Corey, I actually have a tab in Chrome, like a window in Chrome with like collecting like hundreds of tabs because it's, it's overwhelming of the tools that are coming out to create, to automate, to research. So, I think first and foremost, it's like I'm assuring I just take a deep breath and I don't get shiny object syndrome. Um, there is so much early stage stuff right now. And really, there's, there's like a almost like a FOMO that I have felt at times that I'm just reminding myself, like, look, when web came out, when mobile came out, it got so much better over time that even though these tools are really, 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 really cool we are just starting and there's no need to just freak out or try to like shift everything all at once. Mm -hmm. actually have a little bit of patience, but like I said, it's challenging because these things are in their infancy are so really, really good. You know, content creation, not visual content, but written content, I think is actually, that's, the best of all of these tools that I've seen is how do we write? How do we speak? How do we use language? And even over the weekend, I was working on some letters. I run a Girl Scout troop. Hopefully none of the parents listen to this podcast. Otherwise they're going to hear my secret. And I basically gave ChatGBT uh, a brief of each girl, characteristics that I have observed, some little facts about the year that the Girl Scouts have, I've seen and funny things. And I and it generated from me a end of your letter that I'm going to hand to them during their end of your party. Now I did I did I had 12 letters I had to write, and this this took me maybe 10 minutes to do, maybe less. Whereas had I done it originally, organically, creatively, it could have taken me several hours. So I'm right now just looking at the easy wins, personally and professionally, that I can start experimenting and learning. And I think the thing that I want to share that I've done with any early adoption of technology is do not force this on your teams, on your processes, on your clients until you've been the best beta tester possible. And I, and I, I always have like made sure that I know it. I like it. I can validate it. I can vouch for it. And I understand it before I'm asking someone else to do it or before I'm asking for money to do it, because that's very a risk. That's a risky proposition if it's untested or unproven, or you don't really you don't really know how.
0: So, in other words, don't just delegate the Chat GPT um, <laughs> expertise in house to some intern. Yeah, who, yeah. You have to first kind of really get your your hands yeah. wet and roll up your sleeves. Well,
1: like, look, I'm going to tell an old old business entrepreneur story. But when we first started do paid advertising, I went to Udemy and I took a Facebook paid advertising course. The thing was like 30 hours long. And I was the first paid media manager at Design Pickle. And I did that knowing that I can't manage an output unless I know what work goes into finding the output. And this this is the same process. And I think because they work so well, there's almost like a false confidence that like hey, anyone can pick this up and use it. But there there is I think the responsibility that we have running our businesses is to still go through the validation, the testing and the, you know, kind of become a little bit of an uh, an expert on it before we put it to our teams or or use it on client product.
0: With that in mind, as a business owner, how much time should they be allocating or be prepared to allocate to becoming familiar with this new domain? You know, generative
1: content and creation, uh, using these tools to create things, I think is so applicable for agencies. You know, I know a lot of the listeners here, because at the end of the day, what are we getting paid for? We're getting paid for ideas and how to do those ideas, (laughs) like the work to do them. So... So both both buckets can be augmented with these tools because all of the sudden, if I want 20 blog post ideas on a certain thing for a certain client, I can have it in an instant and it's free. So I, I think to answer your question, I think it really just depends on how much of these tools you can kind of see the line of what you're currently selling and doing and does it intersect with a tool or tools. And now you talk a lot about specialization, Corey, and how do like do how do brands and agencies get specialized? That that's the same concept that's happening with these AI generative tools. Right now, there's a lot of generous tools: Dolly to Mid Journey, Jet GPT. They can do anything for everyone, but the winners in this space are going to be coming in the next 6, 12, 18 months where you find the Dolly 2 for packaging design. You find the chat GPT for Lawyers or whatever it is. And that's when I think agencies should, you know, they should be listening, subscribing, learning, keeping an eye, because when that starts to happen, then your specialist agencies now have the super AI secret weapon that's designed just for them. And that's going to be the really, really cool part of this whole next wave of tools
0: i couldn't agree with you more on that my my wife is a physician she has a mm-hmm. private practice she's a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and earlier you mentioned how uh you know how approachable ChatGPT gpt is as generative content because it's 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 so accessible and it's easy to get value out of it and you don't have to right know know what a you know all these you know <laughs> what was that that came out the the, the jpegs and the and the gifts that were being sold can't remember. The yeah, name. the NFTs, <laughs> NFTs. Uh, the NFT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, you've already forgotten it. It's so. Yeah. yeah it's so yeah, old. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. And I and I remember going and listening to their podcast about NFTs and all this stuff, and I still didn't fully get it clearly. So, but on the other hand, you know, my my wife is using this to to generate content to help with mm-hmm. her patients, right? To help uh, be able to right. improve her workflow. But to your point, it is a generalist tool. But the minute that you can create an Chat GPT for psychiatrists, that's where you're able to really provide a tremendous amount yeah. of value. Which
1: just <laughs> a fun, which just a fun hack. Do you know that you can run specialization in Chat GPT? If you said, I want you to become Freud. And I want you to give me answers and you can name well-known historical psychiatrists, thinkers, Socrates, and it will then start to respond and behave and question accordingly. It is wild. So your wife could actually give a little therapist assistant <laughs> if they're, and I, and I can't wait until I can point these tools, let's say at my, my email And like specify these tools based on the way I write and the way I think. I know there are ways you can do that through if you're like a super programmer coder, which I'm not. I just want the plug in to say, hey, look at my 20 years of Gmail, become Russ Perry. And now I can really write emails on the
0: fly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but your earlier point is important, which is that if you are a specialist agency and you can find ways to implement ChatGPT and these generative AI, not only in your operations, but also pointed towards the the problems you're solving for your customers and help them to understand it, the value that you're providing for them goes way up. Yeah, and I think there's like a a moment we should pause and talk about that
1: because... On one hand, people view this as, well, I'm going to need less people. I'm not going to need to pay as many people and salaries uh, to do the work that I'm going to do. I like to think of it, That's like to me is like the glass is half empty mindset. I like to think of it as like, look, keep your people, employ them. But now you can provide 20%, 30%, 50% more value to your clients at no extra cost, which to me if i'm in the seat of an agency i mean we we run into this problem at design pickle but retention is a big deal like if sure. you, like so so think about the best way to retain a client they feel like they're getting way more value than they're paying for they're going to love you so i think for for agencies this is going to flip the value game but but ho- hopefully agencies don't try to like reduce their way into maximizing profits that they actually maximize value thus retaining and expanding those accounts in a really, really unique way.
0: Yeah, I think a smart way for agencies to think about doing that is to become so good at ChatGPT and these tools that they are able to teach their clients how to use it for their own business.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I laugh because a lot of people have been questioning the careers of creators and writers and designers and, you know, all this stuff. And, and it's, I think a fair question. This stuff is really, really good at creating content, but it's really, really good at creating content that, and it's, that content is not necessarily what you need. Like, you know, like if I need dragons surfing, eating hamburgers, I can create you know, photorealistic, I can create an image of that. But right now I have no use for that image other than just to be silly or make a meme. So I think what people forget, and and you know, we go back to Canva when Canva launched, guess what, Canva still requires time to use. You still have to sit down and do it. And even the tools that are auto, you still have to tweak it and like, oh no, that's not right. Let me try this, let me do this, let me download this. Crap, it's rasterized, it's not vectorized. Now I need to recreate. So. The problems of time and what we will be selling will still be there. We're still going to be selling our time because it still takes time to do these things. But what we're doing with that time will change. Instead of designing, on prompt engineering. Instead of writing, I'm editing and collaborating with different tools to create more. So don't think that everyone's just moving to the beach to chill all day long while these robots do the work for us. And for agencies, I don't think they should be fearful of losing out on their unique value proposition because really you're just better at doing stuff than your clients. Yeah. Like you're better at building the websites, the funnels, the automation. They technically could do it themselves. These tools aren't that hard, but they value their time to do other things more than the agency services, and that's why they pay you. So that service will just shift. And I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see the first job posts, which are already coming out of like prompt engineers and AI oh, interaction experts and things. yeah
0: my gosh, beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you seen the best or the most innovative design teams and maybe even at Design Pickle doing to leverage this new technology?
1: Well, look, I don't have a lot of, Exposure to what other teams are doing from um, a technology development standpoint, because I only see the final products that a lot of us see but i think right now it's still too early to tell how the teams are really going to be integrating this in a long-term way into the processes one the tools are just changing so fast like it's like as soon as you get a handle on a tool it, it radically changed but i think when i look at creative teams specifically back to kind of your question prototyping and concepting has just become unlimited. So this is amazing from a client relations standpoint, because now you can be spinning off ideas, whether it's written or visual. And if you're programming or an engineer, software engineer, even in coding almost instantaneously as many variances, as many versions. And whether you do that and present it to your client or the client does that and then presents you the ideas, to me, this is huge because it's like low cost ideation or no cost ideation, which enables so much more exploration before you have to create the, the, the real product. And when, you know, even a year ago, concepts take a day or two days or three days. And you're like, hey, give me 500 concepts. Give me 500 ideas. You'd be like, okay, that's going to take two months. But now you're like, all right, I'll get that to you tomorrow. <laughs> so just think about that. Like, it's wild what ideas now, how much more better and developed they'll be because concepting is just like the cost is practically gone to zero.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so as a result, the, the quality of the final output goes up because there's a lot more inputs that are coming in to be able to, to yeah. generate that.
1: Yeah, you can, you can have, you can have more like, so I'm a huge Disney fan, like crazy Disney fan. And while I love the parks, what I love the most is the process and the business and Walt Disney himself and understanding that. But when they, but like, if you've seen the fantastic documentary Into the Unknown on Disney+, Plus about the making of Frozen 2, <laughs> you, <laughs> just hypothetically, if you've, if you've been it, well, you'll discover and you'll get an insight into the creative process. Now it's not Pixar, it's Disney animation. How iterative and collaborative the creative process is. And, and when you see a final animated movie and you look at the original ideas, It couldn't be further from what it started to where it ends. And I think that, you know, personally, I know I've had to approve stuff because we're just like out of time. Like we just got to go and it's not right. It's not exact, but but now I think we can go through so much more of that with with a normal amount of time that the yeah. end products will be so much better and the ideas will be bigger and more impactful for business outcomes for clients.
0: Are there any legal, ethical, or moral risks <laughs> to using these tools? Oh, dude. so...
1: I don't know the audience age here. There's probably some younger, but Corey, I feel like you're rough. We're close in ages. Like this is the Napster days of, of, of creation. Wild so wild. I remember, yeah, it's the wild west. There's going to be lawsuits for sure. However, this is so progressive that and important that just like digital file music sharing didn't go away. It just got cleaned up. It got legislated. We figure out ways that people can make money that they were happy with. And that's going to be the same thing. So word of caution, I'm not a law expert, but I would just say, you know, use your common sense here in terms of using these assets and tools with client work, because you never know, right? Like, Early days we got hit with a with a Getty Images stock asset lawsuit because one of our designers found an asset that happened to be copyright, and they have a whole legal army chasing people to oh, yeah. sue them for that. Yeah. Today we have mean. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's ironic is when we received that that notice, I was actually negotiating a legal stock assets agreement so now today we have like commercial licenses for all the stock that we use we don't have to worry about it and i told the the sales guys like hey if you get this law thing dropped i'll i'll sign up the package which he was able to do um (laughs) but it's it is the wild west and i i i'd say like look i'm not a legal expert you've probably not got to stress about it right now because these the big players have you know OpenAI is owned by Microsoft practically. You got Google. They're gonna do it right and they're gonna do it legally. And there will be new monetization schemes that come out of it. So have fun, be careful, but like, you know, probably don't launch your big international advertising campaign using just straight out of the box generative content. You
0: never yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm reminded of the 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 fact that I'm grateful that I grew up before there was you know iPhones and the ability to take photos because you know I was a wild kid and you know some some of these things never get off the internet and so yeah uh, just to, just to keep in mind that once it goes up it never comes down so
1: exactly yeah now i do think there's a lot of hypocrisy going on in the legal content space so basically if you if you're not into it a lot of artists are claiming hey these models are being trained by our content Our content, whether visual or verbal is proprietary to me. I have copyrights. It's what I create. Thus, you, you know, you're, you're, you're illegally using this content and to create these things. And I was like, okay, I kind of get it. However, if I'm just an everyday designer and I am have a brief to work. What would I, I used to design. What would I do? I would go online. I would go to like Dribbble or other inspiration sites and I would look at stuff and I'd be like, oh, that's cool. Oh, hey, this is a cool style or whatever. What do we do when we study design in school? We learn techniques. We learn from artists that are famous and we aggregate that information. We create our own original work. So. On one hand, I think it's a bit hypocritical, like a bit hypocritical because the computers are just kind of doing what we do anyway. Now, there are some claims that the exact work is being used and not like iterated on, which that's no good, right? Like if your your stuff is just being copied directly. But we'll see. I mean, obviously, there's a long road to go on the legal side around it. I just think people need to stress out a little bit less. And instead of fighting this, be like, how do I become a 10X artist? How do I become a 10X designer? How do I become a 10X whatever with these tools?
0: Any tips or websites or, or resources for folks to follow with regard to this new sort of evolution of technology? Oh my gosh. You know, no, so
1: this is actually, I am still like, I'm on the front edge of the wave right now, but I'm leveraging a ton on a couple sites. Do you, you do show notes for your podcast? Yeah. Uh, I, I will actually send you, I can't remember the name of the website, but I have one. I will ensure we include it on in the show notes for Perfect. your your folks, Beautiful. but as as weird as it is, Reddit is really fantastic for this stuff mm. because it's so real time. I would say the best way to get started with these tools is to understand how to write the prompts that get the output. It's called prompt engineering. It's a term we've used a few times casually, but each of these tools has its own very easy to learn way to construct a request so that it outputs what it is you're looking for, whether that's visually, the dimensions, the style, the resolution, or whether it's verbal, like I mentioned before, what kind of voice, what kind of tone, what kind of research. And once you get a handle on that, it's not like learning programming. It's just all like regular, writing. Writing, these tools become super powerful. So I'd say that's where people should start and I'll send you a couple links once I get back to my computer of good places. And then the thought leadership on Substack in this space is really really good. So there are a lot of good Substack authors right now that have high and and on Medium as well, but it's just moving so fast that you don't really like the individual contributors and writers in this space are the best way to find information because There's no books yet. There's no courses. There's nothing, there's nothing like that. You can't even create something because by the time you launch it, it'll be, it'll be outdated.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I agree with that. It's hard to keep up. I I, I tell you, given, given everything else I'm trying to do with my day job, quote unquote. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Any, any good tips on that would be, would be helpful for myself and the audience. Yeah,
1: totally. So if you're listening to this, go to Corey's show notes and you'll get a couple links of where to get started.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. Last question for you, Russ. What's your motivation? Wow. So
1: I've gone through a lot of my life and I come back to our vision statement for the company, which, by the way, I created when it was just me. You know, mm. creating values and mission and vision statements when it's just you is kind of a weird exercise, but it was a new start for me. And I kind of was like, what am I going to do in, you know, this next chapter? And that's to change lives through creativity. So really, my main gig, Design Pickle CEO, is providing this platform, this service to provide agencies and everyone with flat rate design services, super easy, but I also like to inspire. I also like to write. I also like to create music and other things as I get older and hopefully step, you know, the next five, 10 years. And I do a little less CEO, a little more artist. I want to continue down that path, but I'm, I'm really, really passionate about inspiring and educating through creativity. And then of course, getting paid, my paycheck is earned by providing a services and a platform for that. And I think that goes for my family too. You know, I have three daughters. My oldest is going into college next year. So I'm really like having this moment of feeling old and excited. I'm not sure how I feel. But How do I now be more of a guide and a mentor to her inside of that yeah. creative space? So that's, you know, big question, but hopefully that kind of sheds some light on what's going on in yeah, my head. No,
0: I love, I love that. I love, you know, ending the show on a, on a high note. So that's, yeah. that's really awesome. Thanks for yeah. that. Where can people reach out to you if they want to connect? Totally. So going to always
1: be able to get a, get a hold of me on LinkedIn. So just, you know, LinkedIn slash, I think it's slash in slash Russ Perry. I'm, well, I'm Russ Perry on the, every handle there is of everything except for That's TikTok, awesome. which I never really gotten on, but there's an earlier TikTok Russ Perry adopter. LinkedIn is fantastic. And in the next month, we are launching our own newsletter called Create Tech, which is something that I'm going to be driving with my own podcast and my team here interviewing and discovering and teaching on this intersection of creativity and technology. So hit up Design Pickle or set a reminder in about a month to come back. We don't have it set up just quite yet. We actually had our big planning meetings this month on it, but I'm excited to have this all the time, doing more deep dive tool analysis, having fun, how businesses are using it, but it'll be republished on LinkedIn for sure. So you can just start there.
0: Who is the intended audience for your newsletter and podcast? Like, who Who are you speaking to?
1: So we're really going after this persona called the Creative manager, and it's the person responsible for the purchasing and management, and productivity of creativity inside of their organization. So that could be in an agency, that could be in an in-house team, that could be in some global operation, and you have a creative ops VP around that. But I think there's there's not a there's not enough conversations having being had around. It's super nerdy, right? But like niche talking about niche is like. Who's getting really nerded out about more efficient workflows, about cheaper tools and technology, about digital asset management. Like I get excited about that. And I want to create a tribe of people who want to be dorks about that kind of stuff. <laughs> Beautiful. The, yeah.
0: the, the more specific around that, the better and the more resonance you're going to have. I'm excited for you, Russ. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining the show, Russ.
1: Thank you, Corey, for having me. Appreciate it as well.
0: All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast. If you received value from the show, I would love a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.